This is our last study in our Foundations of Our Faith series, and we're going over the, the different doctrines that are, that are just so fundamental, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the uh, doctrine of salvation. All these, they have uh, theology, you know, uh, soteriology, Christology, all that kind of stuff, pneumatology. This is called eschatology, and what it is is a doctrine of the end times. And so last week, Charlie Campbell was here, and he was sharing with us the fact that the Bible, we know it's true because it's prophetic, and all the prophecies have come to pass. So everything up to this point, everything God said would happen has happened. Even in Jesus' life alone, over 300 prophecies were fulfilled to the man, to the, the detail in his life. And so if he's been faithful up to this point, um, let me tell you something. He'll be faithful to the future. You read Ezekiel 36 and 37, and those are two chapters that talk about in the last days God would regather Israel to its land. And it did happen in 1948, and then in 1967, Jerusalem became the capital there, and they regained the, the territory. And so, you know, with things that are going on with Trump and even his friendliness towards Israel and his love for Israel, that's all God. That's all God saying, you know, that this is me telling you, you have to be ready. So it doesn't make any, any sense why some people in the church, they're not living holy lives. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you live that way? Why would you want Jesus to come back while you're living in that sin? I mean, prophecy, at the end of the day, it says it's supposed to be used by God to make us holy, to make us ready, even to give us an urgency. You know, you look around today, there's never been a, a generation like we see today. And so um, I know I'm not going to be able to cover everything. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to talk really fast. Um, but if you want, you can just email me, the, your, uh, you know, say, hey, I want to get the notes, and I'll, I'll send them to you, just manny at calvarychapelalmoney.com. While I'm in Columbia, we'll see how much I can post things, but if you're interested in seeing what's going on, you can follow the Whosoever's or Ryan, or even you can follow me on um, Instagram, or maybe make friends on Facebook. I'll be a friend if you're cool, um, a person. <laughs> and we'll see what the Lord does with that, because we want to keep everything in prayer. But um, today, when it comes to the end times and eternity, let me share with you real quick what's ahead. Um, the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation. During that seven-year tribulation period, God is going to be dealing with the Jews. And uh, you read Romans chapter 11. God's not done with the Jews. He's going to go and he's going to uh, you know, specifically pour out his spirit on them, and they're going to get saved. Uh, and then we're going to see he's going to judge the world. All the evil, all the sickness, all the hideousness, all the, the, the stuff that we see that turns our stomach and makes us want to vomit. And it makes us, we're like, God, if you're such a good God, why do you allow these things to happen? Believe you me, he doesn't. He's going to deal with everything. Every wrong will be made right. And so, you know, the rapture, the seven-year tribulation where God deals with the Jews and also with the world, he's going to judge the world. A lot of people are going to get saved during the tribulation period as well. And then the other thing is the Bema seat, and that is when we as Christians stand before Jesus Christ himself, and we give an account what we did and why we did what we did. The life that we lived will be scrutinized before his eyes. And we don't know for sure exactly when the Bema seat takes place. Some people actually believe it happens right when you die. You know, right when you, you die and depart and go to be with the Lord, maybe it's then. 
um, or maybe it's sometime during the tribulation period. There's a lot of things. So we're not even going to be able to talk today about the marriage supper of the Lamb, um, but that's another event. Armageddon, a lot of confusion about what Armageddon is. Uh, some people just, uh, they just connect it with, well, that just means the end of the world. But Armageddon, it comes from uh, the Hebrew, that's the Valley of Megiddo. And if you were able to go to Israel with us, you'll see this tremendous valley where many battles have been fought. That's where Saul uh, and his son died. And, and we're going to see there that there's going to be the last battle. Um, after the tribulation period, Jesus will return on a white horse. Revelation chapter 19 will be with him. And that battle right there, when Jesus defeats all those people coming against Israel and coming against him, that battle is called the Battle of Armageddon. We'll talk about that today. And then after that, after that seven-year tribulation, the Armageddon, then Jesus sets up his uh, throne. He will rule the world. He will rule from Jerusalem for a thousand years. Now, when Jesus rules from Jerusalem, the world is going to be completely different I mean, there's not going to be, you'll be able to kind of play with snakes and lions, and it's just amazing, wolves and things like that. Um, but but it, so there's going to be a difference. There's going to be streams in the wilderness. It's going to be a different uh, world. It's not going to be perfect, though. Um, during the thousand-year reign when Jesus is here, we're going to experience what it's like to have him as our king. I mean, imagine even in a, in a world where there's free will, imagine having Jesus as our king. Some people, you know, they, they won't believe. There's going to be a lot of people. Because you can't force a person to become a Christian. It doesn't matter who the ruler is, right? But, but if they get out of line, Jesus will rule with the rod of iron and will rule with him in different cities. And that's going to be for a thousand years, the son of David, the Messiah, will set up his throne. And, and even after that, though, because at the end of the day, the world is only divided into two types of people, the saints and the ain'ts. And so at the end of the thousand years, all those who don't want Christ, who are not born again, who don't know the Lord, they will muster up one final rebellion because during that thousand years, Think about this. The Bible says that Satan is going to be locked into the abuso for a thousand years. And so it's going to be a lot different during that time. But after the thousand years is over, Satan will come out from that place and he'll stir up a rebellion. And then there'll be one more. If you want to call it a battle, it's not really a battle. But that's when the father gets involved. And then boom, every form of evil is, is dealt with. And then we get a new heaven and a new earth. You know, there's, a, there's two places. There's heaven, and then there's the, the lake of fire. And we'll talk about that, the end times and eternity. You know, when you think of heaven, uh, I, I don't know. I've been really studying a lot about heaven. And it, to me, I, I, I agree with Randy Alcorn. He talks about how heaven is going to be, uh, it's a new heaven and a new earth, but our earth will be redeemed. And so it's going to be cool. A lot of the things that you see here on earth, just picture it perfect. That's what's going to happen, and we'll be there with the Lord forever and ever. And so um, let's get into it, uh, beginning, first of all, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And 
and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? You believe Jesus died and rose again? This is what he says. If we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so it may, it may sound a bit strange, but the Thessalonian believers were actually bombed because they were under the impression that some of their loved ones in Christ had died too soon that because they weren't really here to experience the actual return of Christ, that they wouldn't therefore be with Christ. And so the Thessalonians were thinking that those who died in that state had no hope. But Paul comforts them. He comforts them with this truth that all believers will be reconciled to our Lord and that in Christ we will be together with him and our loved ones forever. Now, I've been doing a lot of funerals. I did two this last week. This is a very comforting truth. It's the only truth, really, that brings comfort to know that you're going to be with the Lord, that they're with the Lord, and then we're going to be with them as well. You see, Paul here comforts them with the truth, and, and you know, we, he says, you guys believe this, and we've got to be sure of the rapture, that there will be a day when those who have passed away will receive their glorified bodies, and we believers who are still alive will be caught up. We read it there again. Notice in verse 17, it says, uh, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's why when I leave the house, I, I sometimes tell my family, I see you here, there, or in the air, you know, because that, that's, we just never know. Today may be the day. You know, if you're a Christian and you die before the rapture, you're immediately in the presence of the Lord, but you're in a temporary body. You're not in your glorified body yet. So you're immediately in the presence of the Lord, but you're going to receive your glorified body when the rapture takes place. And so for us, if, you know, we're alive and when it happens, and I believe it can happen any moment, then we're going to be caught up in the rapture of the church at that point. In the Latin Vulgate, which I don't know if you knew this, it was the predominant Bible for over a thousand years. And so during that time, uh, the, the word rapture came into existence. Uh, the, the Greek word harpazo is, is, is translated rapturos in the Latin version, and that's where you get our word rapture. The, the Greek word harpazo, it means to seize, to catch away, up, pluck, pull, to take away by force. And that's what God will do. You know, the, the, the rapture is sure. You know, I remember in the early days of my salvation, back in 1989, 90, some of the guys around me, were they were slightly overzealous, and I, 
They said that they were never going to get married. They used the phrase uh, bachelor till the rapture. Uh, it didn't last long. <laughs> but that's okay, huh? Because there's nothing wrong with being married when we're ready to be uh, the right person and wait for the right person, the right timing. But in the meantime, we need to always be ready for the rapture. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's, like it's the next event, more than likely on the prophetic calendar. The only other event that might occur prior to that is the invasion of Russia and Iran into Israel. Some people say that might be the next one. We're not sure. Whenever you hear of uh, so Middle East peace talks, uh, you can go to Daniel 9, 24 through 27, because if they strike up peace in the Middle East, then that's a fulfillment of the prophecy there. And so there's, man, any day now, these things will happen. Uh, again, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And notice what we read. Paul here is talking about the, the gospel and then the resurrection. This is the theme of the chapter. But notice what we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised in incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You know, back in the day when they used to change diapers in the nursery, they posted this passage on the wall in reference to the babies. There, again, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I remember that. just wanted to tell you guys about that. But we know, of course, it's not about the babies in the nursery. It's about believers in Christ, huh? You see, it says right there, we won't all sleep, which is a, a nice reference for death. We won't, we won't all die. That's what the Bible says. But we will, as Christians, all be changed in a moment, any moment, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. He uses that word, in the twinkling of an eye. We, we saw the, as the lightning strikes the twinkling of an eye is, the scientists tell us, one eleventh of a second. That's how fast it's going to happen. We will experience the instantaneous transformation of our bodies in order to fit us to live in the presence of God in heaven forever and ever. Uh, and I just can't wait. I look forward to that uh, day. You guys remember to see Star Trek when they said, beam me up, Scotty? That's kind of like that, man. You know, you might be wondering, well, Manny, is this possible? I mean, does it have any biblical precedence? I mean, because you're, you're talking about, like, us disappearing one day? I mean, just taken up like that? And listen, if you believe in the Bible, you believe in this. We see it everywhere. We see it throughout the scriptures. For example, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. You know, Acts chapter 8, verse 39. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. But probably the best illustration of the rapture is seen in the life of a man named Enoch. Now, Enoch is, uh, in the Old Testament, he's a visual, he's a picture, he's a typology of the rapture of the church. You know, you read in Genesis chapter 5, and verse 24, that the, the testimony, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, they wonder, like, what does that mean? Well, it's just exactly as it sounds. We, we, you know, he was walking with God, and then one day he was gone. 
because God took him. That's the rapture right there. He's a picture of the rapture. We see it explained more in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony. Notice that he pleased God. And so, you know, when you're wondering, well, who's going in the rapture? and Who's going to get left behind? You know, well, number one, you have to be saved. You have to be saved. Number two, I would just say, add to that, man, you've got to be walking with God. You've you got to have a heart that, that wants to please God. Now, you know, some might water that down a little bit, but I'm not going to play games with what I, what I see right here is Enoch, his testimony was that he walked with God. And so if you're going to be ready for the rapture, you better be walking with God. And it's a beautiful walk. It's a wonderful journey. Who wouldn't want to walk with God? You want to walk with the devil? You want to walk with yourself? You want to walk with the, the wrong crowd? Is that what you really want? Well, then where will you go? We, we got to walk with God in order to be ready for the rapture. It has happened and it will happen we need to be ready by making sure we're saved and walking with God in fellowship because the truth is some will be left behind. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever missed a, 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 you know, a ride or a bus. I remember one time we almost missed the, our flight to Hawaii. Or, yeah, I think we were going to Hawaii or, or coming back, one of the two. And they're like, corneas, last call. And we're, we're doing the O.J. Simpson thing. We're running through the, the airport, you know, and... We made it, you know, but I don't know if you've ever missed uh, uh, something like that. But imagine missing the rapture. It is possible if you're not ready. You know, Jesus spoke of this in Luke 17, 35 through 36. He said, two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. So maybe you're here today, and in all reality, because I know how it is, man. I'm not a prophet. I don't have any special insight. I've just been around long enough to know that there are people here today who are not really right with God. You're not really surrendered to God. You come on Sundays because it's a habit. You come on Sundays because someone forces you to, or whatever the case may be. And if that's you today, you're playing games with God, then you got to be careful, man. You've got one foot in, one foot out. Your walk has basically been up and down, half-hearted, double-minded. Please listen in light of the rapture. You better get right or you're going to get left. You will. You know, some people say, well, my plan is to have my fun now. And if I get left behind, I know all this stuff. I'll just be a martyr during the tribulation period. It, it won't happen, man, because if you can't live for Jesus now, what makes you think you'll be able to die for him then? I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know if you've ever been, you know, we go through this every single day at our house because we have a family, you know, and people are getting ready. Do you ever, guys ever have that, the, in, you know, the, just in the struggle of trying to get everybody ready to go out the door on time? Do you guys ever struggle with that? I know some families that if you're not ready, they leave you. I'm like, man, how could a husband do that to his wife? I don't, it, but it happens. I, and then maybe they're trying to teach him a lesson, which is fine, you know, but, um, you know, if you're not ready, if you're not ready, you're going to get left behind. And so, 
we, we have that, that, that's the next event. The rapture of the church will then usher in the seven-year tribulation period. And that's predicted by Daniel in 9, Daniel 9, 27. It's predicted by Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 21. It's mentioned many times, including Revelation chapter 2, verse 22. And it's described in detail. So when you read the book of Revelation, it's kind of funny. Some people are afraid of reading the book of Revelation. But if you read Revelation chapter 6, all the way through 19, you will see what's going to take place during the tribulation period. It's the last seven years of world history. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor nor ever shall be. And again, like I said earlier, the tribulation serves two primary purposes. Number one, God pours out his spirit on the Jews and many will be saved. You know, again, you go back to Daniel chapter 9, and just to let you know, Daniel is the key to prophecy. If you know Daniel, you're going to know prophecy. But Daniel 9, 24 through 27, God appointed 77-year periods for Israel. They're referred to as weeks. And so the first 69 of those seven-year periods have been completed literally, you know, 483 years from the day they said, go and rebuild the temple, to the day Messiah came in, there was 483 years, 69 weeks. It was fulfilled literally, right? And so uh, we, we have to assume that the last week will be fulfilled literally as well. And it begins with the Antichrist. He makes a seven-year covenant with Israel. He brings some sort of peace in the Middle East. And you guys know, huh, today the whole world wants peace in the Middle East. The Jews what do they want to do? You go to Israel today, and it's not a Christian thing. It's a Jewish thing. It's a Jewish thing. They want to rebuild their temple. You know, you got the Dome of the Rock. You've got the things going on there on the Temple Mount. And they're pushing. Every year they try to rebuild the temple. And so a lot of people believe that what the Antichrist will do is he's going to bring peace. He's going to bring about the ability for them to rebuild their temple. And so midway, however, through the seven years, according to Revelation 13.5 and Daniel 7.25, the Antichrist will show his true colors. And it gives the time frame, 42 months. It gives us a time, a times, which is two and half a time, three and a half years. And that's why we know that the rapture cannot take place after the tribulation period because we can know the very day that the tribulation period will end based on these prophecies and so the, the one that we don't know of is, is, is the rapture. But, but halfway through, he'll show his true colors. He's going to go into the Jewish temple. He's going to claim to be God, demand to be worshipped. And the Bible talks about this repeatedly. It's called the abomination of desolation. It's spoken of again in Daniel 9, 27, Matthew 24, 15 through 22, and other places. And Paul wrote about it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, in reference to the Antichrist, the, the man of sin, the son of perdition, he is, says he opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so that'll happen three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation period. During that time, many will die but many will find life as well, especially among the Jews, something we don't see a whole lot today. 
But you read your Bible, and it's, it's interesting. Romans 9, 10, and 11. Romans 9 is past. Romans 10 is present. Romans 11 is future. And it makes it clear that God is not done with the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, we read in Romans 11, 25 through 26, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Here he says that blindness has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. I remember when we were in Israel one time, and when you go to Israel with us on a tour, uh, it's kind of cool. We go and we look at the different places, and then you'll usually have a Jewish guide, and it just for whatever reason, it seems like none of these guys are saved, but they know the, the Jewish uh, history, they know the Jewish culture, and they even know Christianity. And I remember one time we were having a study there, and it was at actually one of the, um, the synagogues. Uh, so there was a synagogue there in Capernaum, and right underneath is the one that Jesus was in. And so this guy, this Jewish guy, is saying, he asked us all the question. He said, so why do you think that the Jews don't believe? And Laura, you guys know Laura, she just blurted it out, because they're blind. <laughs> and I know she didn't you know, mean anything personally against this guy, but it's true. There was like a blindness over them. You know, you can't get saved unless, unless the Lord calls you, unless the Lord opens your heart, unless the opens, Lord opens your eyes. So in one sense, we do see some Jews getting saved today, but not a lot. But the day will come where God will pour out His Spirit on the Jews again when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. It says there in Romans 11, verse 25. And so when that last Gentile person prior to the rapture gets saved, boom. Next thing you know, God is going to start dealing with the Jews. We're just waiting for the fullness of the Gentiles. Any of you guys here Gentiles, non-Jews? And if you're not saved, you might be holding us back, man. So today, get saved, man. Once that last Gentile comes to Jesus, boom, we're out of here. And then the rapture will take place, and God will, in one sense, turn his attention primarily to the Jews, and the scales will fall from their eyes. No more blindness, no more hard hearts. They're going to open up, and many of them will be saved. And so during the tribulation period, God will save some, but he will also punish those who refuse to repent. And it's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy, it's here today. Some of you, you just won't repent. You won't stop your sexual sin. You won't stop your pornography. You won't stop your drinking and your drugs. And it just, it's just crazy. You know, what we find is that God is going to deal with that you know, we have to repent. We've got to get right with God. I mean, I'm, I'm not, this is not, you know, Manny making up some Disney story. This is, this is the Bible. This is God's word. This is your eternity. Well, I believe in God, but, you know, I like to, you know, mess around. You don't believe in God. Because the Bible says, you know, no fornicator is going to go to heaven, no drug addict. No drunkard, no liar, no covetous person. And if that's the description of your life, then you have to just, man, you have to come to the realization that you don't really know the Lord. That's where it starts. How can you get saved if you won't admit you're not saved? You know, the, Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. Not by whether or not it goes to church. Not by whether or not it says, you know, I believe in the head. What kind of fruit? You know, the moral fruit, the ministry fruit. And so we have to be ready. Because during that time, God will then judge the world. 
And we read, um, like for example, go to Revelation chapter 6. And this is, you know, when the tribulation period starts, and we read in verse 16, uh, it says, well, verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? You see, when you read Revelation, the judgments described in chapters 6 through 19, uh, there are these cataclysmic events that take place on planet Earth. You know, the first three and a half years are judgment because of the fact that the world will get their way. They're going to get the world leader, the devil incarnate, the Antichrist. They're going to get their sin. They're going to get their pseudo-peace. In Revelation chapter 6, in verse 2, notice it says, and I, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now this individual right here, this is the Antichrist. He comes, he's got a bow, but he has no arrow. He conquers the world through his manipulative peace. You know, and this is all part of the, the judgment beginning. And then we're going to see after that, however, the Antichrist will then show his two true colors. After the cunning peace, the world gets their way, but the final three and a half years, the world gets God's wrath. Disasters unparalleled, famine like never before, death everywhere, cataclysmic e earthquakes, meteor showers. It's so awful that we read here in Revelation 6, 15 through 17 that these guys just want to die. And so this is the reason that we know the church won't be here during that time because 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, it says that this is, the church is not appointed to wrath. And this is clearly the wrath of God. You know, when you read this right here, we know that God has not appointed us to wrath Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it teaches us that God will deliver his faithful church from the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. And we can even read way back in Genesis chapter 18, verse 25. You guys remember when Abraham was uh, speaking to God, interceding for his nephew Lot, as God was just about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to what we read in Genesis 18, verse 25. God, Abraham speaking to God. He said, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So as God is getting ready to, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, judge them for their sin, you know, Abraham's interceding for his nephew Lot, and he said, Lord, you wouldn't judge the righteous with the wicked. Far be it from you. You wouldn't do that, right? And the Lord says, absolutely not. So what does God do? God goes in there. You guys remember, sends a couple of angels, and they pull Lot and his daughters and, 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 and his wife out before he judges Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what he's going to do with us. I mean, come on, be honest. How many of you here, you see what's going on in the world today, and you know it needs to get judge i mean the the wickedness the things that are going on in the world today but we're like well wait a minute we're a church what about us lord we love you and that's why we know god's going to rapture us out and seven years he's going to deal with the jews he's going to deal with those who will not repent 
Hence the rapture of the church before the seven-year tribulation where God will save Israel and others but judge the unrepentant world. So you have the rapture, the, the seven-year tribulation, the, the Bema seed of Christ. Uh, and that's such a beautiful thing to think about. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And notice what we read in verses 11 through 15. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day. And that day, you guys, is the day that we stand before Jesus. It's the Bema Seat, that the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work uh, which he has built on it endures the fire, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but as himself he will be saved, yet, as, yet so as through fire. And so you're going to stand before the Lord. All the works you've done supposedly for Jesus will be put into the fire, and they're going to be tested whether or not they were really the right works done for the right reason. What were your motives? And, and as a matter of fact, we see that later in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And if your motives were right, and if you really did serve the Lord, then, you know, the, the gold, it survives the fire. The silver, it survives the fire, you know, and then you're going to be rewarded accordingly. But let's just say that you were saved, but you never really did anything for the Lord. You buried your talents or whatever. You weren't really doing it for the right reason. It's all going to burn up. It's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. There will be no reward, so to speak. You're still going to be saved because you're not saved by works. But you're going to be saved like by the skin of their teeth. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, Some Christians will be ashamed on that day. Because they didn't really do the right thing for the right reason. You know, you got some people in the church, they're doing it for themselves. They're not really doing it for the Lord. They're not really doing it for the people. You know, some people are not doing the right things. And so the, what we find is that God will judge motives. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And, you know, you might look at a guy and say, well, his ministry is not that big. It doesn't matter. Don't judge a church by its body, budget, you know, or a building. It doesn't work that way. You, you judge, God will judge it by, its, by their faithfulness. Were they faithful? That's what's required. Paul here says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself. Yet I'm not justified th by this, but, but he who judges me is the Lord. And so he said, you know, it's not a big deal what you say about me. And it, at the end of the day, it's not like a final word what I say about me. He says, the Lord is the one who, who, who knows. So he says there in verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, those things, and I just trip out on how some people think they can hide their sin. God will bring it to light. He'll shout it from the mountains. He will bring to light those hidden things of darkness and reveal 
the counsels of the heart. And that could be even a, a good thing, the hidden things. I, I did good and I loved the Lord. No one really knew it, but the Lord knew it. And right there where it says uh, where God will judge the counsels of the heart, if you have a NIV, some of the other translations, they say the motives of the heart. Not just, you know, were you a good singer and did you sing for me? Did you hit that note? But why did you hit that note? Was it because you wanted people to clap for you? God will see all that. The, the Bema Seat. The concept of the Bema Seat comes from ancient Olympics where a judge would sit on the Bema Seat at the finish line. And the judge's purpose was to determine what position the runners came in, first, second, and so on, and then to give out the appropriate rewards. This is the imagery behind what is known as the Bema Seat. The, the judgment seat of Christ, and don't think that it determines your salvation. You're already saved by the blood. That was determined by his sacrifice on the cross and your faith in Jesus. And we'll never be condemned because we're Christians. But the Bema Seat is where we're judged for the works we've done, what and why we did it. And there is that aspect of reward or loss of reward. We're, we're going to receive rewards. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 5, 11 through 12. And I like 2 John chapter 1, verse 8. Check it out. It says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. How many of you here are interested in a full reward? You're like, one day when I stand before Jesus, the one who was nailed to a cross for me, the one who died for me, the one who loved me so much, that when I'm there and I'm going to live my life in light of that day, that one day you'll get a full reward because you were obedient and you did the right thing for the right reason. It's so important that we get ready for that. Right here he says, look to yourselves. Examine your hearts. Check out your life. You know, what's really going on? So that when you're, you're there that day, you, you will receive a full reward. And Jesus is not... You know, he does not, he's not hesitant to, you know, entice us, I guess you could say, with reward. In, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so, he, you know, he stimulates us with that. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. I mean, I know ultimately we do it because we love him, but if this is him saying, I want to reward you, we're going to see, well, what's the reward, Manny? Does that mean you get, like, really nice clothes when you're in heaven? Uh, yeah, it means that the, the more reward, the taller you are. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't work that way, right? What it is, believe it or not, is more responsibility. But the main thing is that you're going to be pleasing to him. Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, it says, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so um, after that, um, Armageddon, you guys read about it in Revelation 16, 12 through 16, after the seven-year tribulation, believe it or not, because like I said, you know, uh, for whatever reason, the devil is deceived in thinking. I don't know if he believes it, but he's thinking that maybe he can beat God, and, and obviously he can't. And then we have the millennial kingdom. And for that, let's go to Revelation chapter 20.
Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And so basically all who survived the tribulation period, and the Bible talks about that in Matthew 25 where he separates the sheep from the goats. Uh, the goats will be immediately judged. The sheep will then be allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom. Will they repopulate for a thousand years? The church will also rule and reign with Christ during this time. And so this is going to be us. We're going to be there during that thousand years. And you guys get a chance to read Isaiah chapter 35, and it gives us a beautiful description of what it's like. But in Matthew 19, 28, he told the apostles, you're going to be ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 17, he tells all of us that you will be ruling over cities. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. And so can you visualize that? Jesus is ruling from Jerusalem. You have the apostles ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel, and you have everybody else ruling over all the areas of the earth during a thousand years. I already got Almani. You guys get to choose whatever you want. You're probably thinking Hawaii would be nice, huh? <laughs> we don't know for sure where it's going to be, but I know that during this time, Jerusalem will be the capital there will be a special weather protection. Jesus will be king. Satan will be locked up. Dangerous animals like lions, leopards, and wolves will become so peaceful that a child will lead them. We read that in Isaiah chapter 11. Meat-eating animals will become vegetarians. Lions will eat grass. Wolves will live in peace with lambs, leopard and baby goats, lions and cows, bears and cows. They're going to be peaceful together. Snakes will no longer be harmful. Uh, babies will play uh, near them. Animals will no longer hurt or destroy There'll be no bloodshed in all nature. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Christ's followers will reign with him over the earth. But even after that, because you guys know, huh, that the main thing is, is salvation. And God's not going to force anybody. Just like today, he still doesn't force people. And even during those days, he won't force you to be a believer. He won't force you to be a Christian. And, and during that time, all those who don't know the Lord, when Satan gets released again, for that last time, he musters up in a rebellion. And then, boom, God does what he does, and then we get into, into eternity. So, you know, a real quick uh, look at the end times and then eternity. Revelation 21, 1 through 6, it talks about heaven. Uh, and we're going to be there with God, and it's going to be an amazing place. Um, I pray that you would know that that's your home, that we're fish out of water right now, but we look forward to heaven. It's not just a destination, it's a motivation. I'm excited about it. I really am. I mean, Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 1, I would much rather go to heaven. 
If I had to choose, if God said, okay, what do you want to do, Manny? I would rather go to heaven. I would, no offense. I love my family, I love my kids, but, I mean, that's our home. He's our God. I don't love my family more than I love God. I want to be home. I want to be in heaven. But God says, until your race is done, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, right here, my presence is more needful for you. And that's the way it is for all of us. You know, God has a work for us to do. God wants us to love people. God wants us to witness to people. God wants us to serve him. Our life, Paul said in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ. That's my life. He's my life. If it's anything less than that, then we're off. But then, he says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And that's heaven. That's forever. And there'll be no more sin or suffering or sickness or Satan. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow. That'll be forever and ever and ever. And we're going to be able to have the Almani Garden. There is a Sada reunion, and the salsa in heaven is going to be amazing. There won't be any after effects, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's just going to be so awesome. Heaven, the music, the colors, the joy, forever. But then there's that other place called hell, and then it's thrown into the lake of fire. And the Bible says that there's this great white throne judgment. And if your name is not found written in the book of life, then you will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And that's up to you. That's up to you. If you want to live your own life, if you want to live in your own sin, John chapter 3 says they don't want to come to me because they're so, they're so hooked on their sin. But God will set you free. God will forgive. God will give you a new start. You know, Revelation chapter 20, notice what it says in verse 15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Choose for yourselves. What will you have? You guys, isn't it cool that you have the choice? Blessing or cursing? Life or death? Choose for yourselves whom you will serve. Who are you going to serve? Yahweh or you? Choose for yourselves. Choose for yourselves this day where you will go, heaven or hell. Do you want Jesus or not? I pray you would know he loves you and he's here for you. And I just want to close with the words of, of Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Moses said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. You, how many of you here know that we're living in the last days, that we're living in the, in the signs are there? I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said, I've stopped looking for the signs. I'm just listening for the trumpet. <laughs> you know, I don't need to look. I just listen. When that trumpet blows, man, it's going to be cool. At the end of the day, what, what's the future? Who's the future? What is the world coming to? You want to know what, what the world is coming to? Jesus.